So we bring our needy hearts to God. And we bring our needy city to God. And in a house of prayer, we express our need to God. And at the same time, we intercede for the needs of others. And so I want us to take a moment, church, and I want us to take a moment and to intercede for the, for the needs of others, specifically those who, who have lost loved ones this week, who have been victims of this tragedy. Hallie Scruggs, Evelyn Deakhouse, Will Kinney, Cynthia Peake, Mike Hill, Catherine Coons. No doubt in a church this size and through conversation this week, I know that there are many who knew them personally, friends and family. And maybe you know somebody um, who's been close personally. You know the grief and the hurt that they have and just as a as a city, we grieve and we mourn over the loss of their lives. And, and so I want us to take a moment and I want us to pray. Pray for the families and pray for the friends um, who have been deeply affected in this. And so can we pray together? Father, we come to you because that's who you tell us that you are, that you are a Father in heaven, who's a God of all comfort, who comforts those who are afflicted so that we can comfort others in their affliction. And right now, we bring comfort in the Spirit of God. We pray for your Spirit, for your peace. Your Word tells us that, that those who mourn will be comforted, that you are our helper in time of trouble. We pray for your peace, for your comfort, for your love, your mercy, for the family and the friends, God, that they would know you. We pray for the Scruggs family, for Pastor Chad and his family. We pray, God, that you would, that you would minister to them, that you would hold them up. We pray for all the families, that you would give them strength. God, we pray that as the body of Christ, that we would demonstrate your love and your grace. Today, we intercede for them. We lift them up to you. Pray that the reality of heaven, that the hope of heaven would fill their hearts right now. And God, that they would sense and see and know that churches across, across the city and around the world are praying for them. And God, would you make your power and your peace known, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You can be seated. And I want us to uh, I want us to take a moment because um, it's just been a, it's been a it's been a hard week and a and a heavy week. I want us to take a moment and to uh, and to give honor. I, I'd like for us to take a moment that we would be able to honor first responders, those who uh, who risk their lives to go in and to. protect the lives of the most vulnerable. And I, I'd, I'd also like, I had some conversation this week with, um, with medical personnel and those who have helped in that. Can we just honor, we honor them. There, um, there, there's a family as a part of the church who, um, who has a child who is a part of, um, 
part of that school and was there there that day. And, and our hearts are, are turned toward, um, toward those, those children, those students. At the same time, um, all the families that have been, been affected by this. And I wanted to let you know, um, as a church, um, several years ago, we, uh, we set up a fund called Disaster Relief to intentionally be able to come alongside um, people and, and families in time of crisis. And because of your generosity, uh, we're, we're committing to give $20,000 to, uh, to come alongside families that have been um, greatly affected um, by this to provide counseling and care um, for those that have been um, deeply affected by this trauma. And we'd also like to extend that to, to first responders um, as well, and so I want to let you know that as well, so that so that you'll know that everything that's that's given online, that's designated toward disaster relief over the next seven days, is going to go toward that. And so some of you are asking, well, how do we how do we give toward that? You can give online, and you can designate disaster relief, and uh, and everything that's given um, above and beyond the twenty thousand dollars toward disaster relief will go toward helping. Helping them, if it surpasses, uh, for, surpasses that, and even even better, um, that's our heart to be able to help them get the help and the healing that they need in the days ahead. And I want to take a moment also and uh, and just recognize um, the educators that are among us. So if you are a uh, if you're a school teacher, an administrator, an educator in the house, um, I want to ask at all of our campuses that you just stand. We just want we want to honor we want to honor you. So if you're a school teacher, would you would you stand? We love you. Thank you. I'm going to ask that you to stay standing. I know, I know you might be hard for you to stand. I want to honor you for the work that you do every single day. And, and uh, you already have such an important um, job, such a significant calling in life. But uh, very few people know the, the courage and the strength that it took to... Um, to, to get dressed, to get up and get dressed and go, go to work on Tuesday. And so we want to we affirm you. We want to bless you. We want to let, let you know we, we see you and we thank God for the work that you do. And, uh, and you went in and you provided a non-anxious presence for those students on Tuesday. So we want to pray for you. So if you're around one of the teachers that are, that are standing up, would you just stand alongside them and just put a hand on their, uh, on their shoulder? And uh, we just want to come alongside you as a church and let you know we are grateful for you and we appreciate you. And you can even just whisper your prayer over them. And so, Father, in a concert of prayer, we, we thank you for these men and women who you have called them with their life to shape and to mold and teach the next generation. God, we pray that you would give them a deposit of your strength, of your peace, of your love and your mercy today. We pray that they would be seen and known and loved by you, by as a church that we come around them. We pray for protection over their lives. We pray, Father, that you bring healing to their hearts. We pray that you give them the words to say. And God, I pray that even through their presence, God, that your light would go forth. And we pray that students, that the students that you've entrusted to them would sense and see and know your love and your grace for them. So God, would you give them everything that they need? Would you give them wisdom? Would you give them discernment? God, would you give them next steps in the days ahead to be able to, uh, to shine your love and your light in the schools where you've placed them? And we bless them in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. We once again just say thank you. Again. One of the, uh, one of the, one of the challenges um, 
in a week like this, at a time like this, with a call like this as a pastor, is, is the question, why? It's the question, why? And, uh, and if you've, maybe you've asked that question, it's God, why, why did you let this happen? God, if you're all-powerful, if God's all-powerful, why didn't he stop it? Why did this happen? And if you've asked the question why over the last seven days, we just want you, I want you to know like you're in good company because I've asked the question too. And if you've ever asked the question why um, after a tragedy, well, you need to know you're in good company because um, throughout Scripture you find uh, the writers, the authors of Scripture, they ask, they ask why. The psalmist asked why. Job asked why. King David asked why. The disciples asked why. Even Jesus on the cross, he said, why, God, have you forsaken me? That question, why, gets asked. And I just, I've, had to, I've had to resolve that, um, that there are some questions that, that we don't get answers to this side of eternity. But I've also, that's the question, that I've also had an observation this past week. And the observation is this, is that people say, um, this is not how it's supposed to be. Like, this is not how it, how it should be. People who believe in God and people who don't profess belief in God, there's just this deep sense after a situation like this where you say, you know what, this is not how it's supposed to be. And if you've had that um, sense, if you've had that observation, you know, you're, you're right. Like it's, it's not how it's supposed to be. It's not how it should be. In fact, when you go back and you, you look, we were created by God and we were created for God and we were created in the image of God and we were created to live in harmony with God and harmony with one another and harmony with creation. But, but when sin entered the picture, when mankind rebelled against God, one, one author calls it the vandalism of shalom, of the way things should be. And one of the things that I find most compelling about the gospel is God's response to sin and suffering in this world. And that God is not aloof, he's not far off, he's not distant, but that God moves toward us in our sin. He moves toward us in our suffering. The scripture says, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he sent. He didn't send an email. He didn't send a text message. He didn't send a card. He sent his son. That God moves toward us in our suffering. He moves toward us in our sin. He moves toward us in our questions. That God moves toward us. That's his response. And as we read through the Gospels and we see the story of Jesus, this culminates in the Holy Week. This culminates in the seven days in the week leading up to the, to the cross in an empty tomb. It's God's response and God's move toward us. And, and today on the church calendar is, is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday, we also call it like the, it's an event known as the triumphal entry. And what's, what's interesting about this triumphal entry, and just even on a day like today, where we have grief and we have mourning and we have loss and we have questions, what's interesting at a time like this is that Jesus in the triumphal entry, he moves from the triumphal entry to tears. And I believe that God has a word for us today that will help us in the move from triumph to tears, that'll help us move from tears to triumph, that we will have hope. And what we see in that story is that there were people who, who didn't see Jesus as he really was. And my prayer for us today is that we would see him as he really is so that we'd be able to help others see him as he 
as he really is. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19. You can turn there with me, Luke, Luke 19. And, um, and I want to help give you, some, give you some context as you're turning there. And that day, it was around the time of Passover. And Passover is the annual Jewish festival where they remember that they were slaves in Egypt, but that God had set them free. And it's an interesting time for them because they were not oppressed by Egypt. They were actually oppressed by Rome and the Roman Empire ruled with an excessive and oppressive rule over the Israelites. They, they lived among um, the Roman forces that had come in and with the military force and with, they called it Pax Romana. They called it Roman peace, which means there will be peace as long as you do what we say. But they live with this constant intimidation and this constant threat with swords and crosses and excessive taxes. And there was constant impediment in their worship and in their way of life. And so the nation of Israel was crying out to God, God, we need a deliverer. God, we need a deliverer. We need a savior. We need a rescuer. And word had gotten out that there was this man, Jesus, who was a, who was a prophet and who was a miracle worker. And some people were, were saying he's the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the king that God, that God promised that we've heard about. And so people were beginning to, to look toward him and, and he was the Messiah that God promised, but he wasn't the one that they were expecting because they were expecting him to deliver them from the Romans. But Jesus came to bring freedom to their hearts. And this is where we pick up in Luke chapter 19, verse 29. It says, and as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And what's interesting is this story picks up with an errand. Jesus sends a couple disciples on an errand and he says, you're gonna find a donkey and I want you to tell them that the Lord needs it, which would be the equivalent of Jesus telling you to go over to the gulch and there's gonna be a Tesla that no one has ever ridden before. <laughs> and when you find the owner, just tell them the Lord needs it and you can take it. I mean, that's the kind of faith that it, I'm not suggesting that you do that today. I'm just saying that's what was going on in that day. And so they, by faith, they go and they go get a donkey. Now, why did they get a donkey? Well, this fulfilled a prophecy in the Old Testament that was given 500 years before the prophet Zechariah said, rejoice. Look, at he says, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah tells him that when Messiah comes, when the king comes, that he's going to be riding on the back of a donkey. And so this is a prophecy that they had heard for hundreds of years that they held to. And so when Jesus tells them, go get a donkey, it's clear what's going on. They see him coming in on the back of a donkey. They go, this is a Messiah. This is the king. Jesus is making a statement, a declaration that he is the promised one, the promised Messiah, the promised deliverer. And so we pick up in verse 35. And it says, and they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. John chapter 12, verse 13 says, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. And so they are, they're bringing a sacrifice of praise to Jesus. They got palm branches, which are symbols of victory. They're symbols 
of, of triumph. They are, they are symbols that this is the king, that our deliverance is here. And they are yelling out, they're crying out. Matthew tells us, Hosanna. They're taking off their coats. They're putting them on the ground like, like red carpet for royalty. So the people are making a declaration that this is, this is our king. Our king is here. The Messiah is here. Verse 37. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, this is Psalm 118. This is, a, this is a psalm that they would have said as they ascended up to Jerusalem year after year, but only this year it's different because now they're saying this is the Messiah. Like the one that we've been singing this song about our whole lives, he is here. They're crying out, Hosanna, and they're saying, save us now. And so it's the people's heart that Jesus would bring, bring salvation, that he, would, that he would save them. And everybody is feeling it except for a handful of people called the Pharisees, and they were religious leaders. Look at verse 39. It says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, Jesus, tell them to stop. Now, why did the Pharisees tell Jesus to rebuke his disciples? Well, one reason is that there was a garrison of Roman soldiers that were stationed at the temple to put down any kind of insurrection. And so they were getting nervous because of what this would stir up. But there was another reason. The other reason was that the Pharisees were uncomfortable with Jesus because Jesus challenged them. See, they were uncomfortable because Jesus was the Messiah that was promised, but he wasn't the one that they desired. He wasn't the one that they wanted. They wanted a Jesus who would just bless their agenda. They wanted a king. They wanted a king that would just bless them and just affirm what they wanted and their desires. And they wanted a Jesus who would just, a king, a Messiah, who, would just, who wouldn't make them uncomfortable, who wouldn't ask them to change. And Jesus confronted them because they loved their traditions more than they loved people. And Jesus loved the people more than he loved the traditions. And Jesus challenged them and they didn't like that. They were uncomfortable with Jesus because Jesus made them uncomfortable. And so they were uncomfortable with this praise. Have you ever noticed how the name of Jesus makes people uncomfortable sometimes? Especially people who, um, who oppose him the name of Jesus. Have you noticed that you can say God? You can say deity? You can say higher power? But the moment we say the name of Jesus, people get uncomfortable. One of the reasons is that there's power in the name of Jesus. There's no greater name than the name of Jesus. And that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord, that there is power in the name of Jesus. The other reason is who Jesus claims to be. That Jesus doesn't claim to be one among many, that he claims to be one among one. Which means he is the king. Not just a good teacher, not just a moral example, not just a, a prophet or a miracle worker or a good man. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so to make him 
anything less than that does damage to the, to the gospel and to our own hearts. But something happens when we acknowledge that he is king, when we declare that he is king and that he, he, he has a kingdom and that his kingdom is here. And in that moment, Jesus being king, we realize and we bring our little lives under his lordship and under his authority. We realize that there is a power that is greater than evil and there is a light that breaks through the darkness and there is a hope that drowns out despair and there is peace that transcends understanding and there is a presence that is inescapable and undeniable and there is a love that is unconditional. And we realize that there is a grace that melts the hardest heart and there is forgiveness that frees us from bitterness and there is faith and there is hope in the midst of the storm and there is an invitation for every tribe, tongue, and nation to experience a life that is more powerful than death. And we find that in his kingdom and we find that Jesus is, is king, but they were nervous about this and so they tell Jesus to shut it down. And look at Jesus' response. Jesus tells them, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If they don't praise me, the stones will cry out. Now, what's going on here? I think this is, this is genius, Jesus, because I think he's referencing a scripture in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 11. Look with me. The Old Testament prophet said this. He said, the stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. So Jesus is referencing an Old Testament scripture. This is a rabbinical um, teaching method called remez, where rabbis would say a scripture, and then because the people knew the scripture so well, it would bring to mind the verse before it and the verse after it. So by Jesus saying the stones will cry out, they knew that scripture and Habakkuk, and so they realize what he's, what he's talking about. In the same way, if I said, all right, stop, collaborate, and listen. <laughs> like, we know what comes after that. In the same way that we know Vanilla Ice, they knew the scriptures. And so they knew, they knew the verses around that, and so it would have brought to mind Habakkuk, Verse, chapter two, verse nine, woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You've plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. Jesus is calling out the religious leaders who love their greed and who abuse their power and who love their control. And so Jesus is calling them out. No wonder they crucified him. He was the Messiah that was promised, but not the one that they were looking for. And so Jesus, he, he calls them out in that moment. And basically what he's doing, he's saying, they're going to praise me. And by praising me, you're either going to have to crown me as king or you're going to have to crucify me as a criminal. You're either going to have to accept me for who I am or reject me. And the people, they, they praised him. And they praised him. And so he's got this triumphal entry. And in verse 41, he does something that nobody expected. Verse 41, it says, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. And Jesus weeps. 
I mean, they're expecting this is the moment for the victory lap. This is the moment for the inaugural speech. This is the moment, Jesus, you got everybody's attention. This is the moment to, to rally everybody together. But what Jesus does is he goes and he looks out over Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives and he just, he weeps over the city. That word weeps means just to wail. It means to, it means to cry out. It means to sob. It's not just to shed a tear, but Jesus weeps over the city. Why does Jesus weep over the city? Because he knows that they don't see him as he really is, that they see the Messiah that they want to see, not the one who really is. He knows that they don't see him as the one that Moses promised and the prophets promised. He knows that they don't, they don't see him as the one who came to free their hearts, but only as the one who came to free them from the Romans. And Jesus weeps because they're blind to who he, he really is. And so he weeps for them because his desire is that they would know him that they would experience his love, that they would experience his mercy, they would experience his compassion. Because Jesus didn't come to, to win an argument, he came to win a people. That they would see him, that they would know him, that they would experience his love. He weeps because there were people who, who, who just wanted um, a Messiah who would make them comfortable and make their lives predictable and get them where they want to go. But that's not a king. That's a travel agent. Jesus came to bring comfort, but to bring his kingdom. And that as king, we would bring our desires and we would bring our plans and we would bring our agenda and we would surrender it to him. Not just merely ask Jesus to bless our agenda and to bless our plans and to bless our desires. And so Jesus, Jesus weeps for those who resisted his love and his kingdom. Because Jesus knew that that crowd who yelled Hosanna would five days later yell crucify. And so he weeps. You know what it's like to weep. Chances are over the last week you've found yourself at moments. I know I have. I found myself at moments where I just weep. There, there are moments when I've met with people and heard their stories and I've, just, and I've wept with them. There are other moments where I've been by myself and I've just, I've, I've just wept. I mean, I just wept. and by myself on the back porch, just weeping. There have been moments I'm just driving my car down the road, just overwhelmed with grief and just weep. There are moments where, there was one moment I was just sitting in an office and I was waiting for some other people and just, I thought of um, Pastor Chad's girls, I thought of his family and just, just grief, just a tsunami of grief just, just came over me and I just, I just wept, I just, I just wept. And there are private moments where, where you have wept too. And I'm reminded in those moments of, of weeping where Ree told me one time, she said, Kevin, tears are a form of prayer. She reminded me of a scripture in Psalm chapter 56, verse eight. It says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. And you need to know if you wept this week and you've cried this week that, that God weeps with you and that he's seen every tear and every prayer. Maybe there are prayers you're like, I don't have, I don't know what else to pray, but you weep. You need to know God sees your tears. He's with you and you're weeping and he weeps for us. But there, there will come a day, one day, where there will be no more tears. 
In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, it tells us that he will one day, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death and no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And with us telling us that one day there will be new heavens and a new earth and we will be with him and he will wipe every tear from them. There will be no more tears and there will be no more sorrow. My friend, Scott Sauls reminded me of Tolkien that said, everything sad will come untrue in that day. But what do we do until that day? I mean, we have the hope of heaven, but what do we do in this, in this broken world where, where there are tears and there is sorrow and there is mourning and there is pain? And I believe that in scripture today and in this passage, there are some things that we can do to see Jesus for who he is and help other people see him for who he is in the midst of mourning, in the midst of tears, in the midst of our grief. And so what I wanna do is I wanna give you four takeaways today that we can take into this week of how we respond to suffering and how we help others see Jesus. The first is that Jesus still rides into cities and situations on the back of generosity and errands. Jesus still rides into situations and circumstances and cities on the back of generosity and errands. I've talked with families who were close, really close to the tragedy. And they said they've been overwhelmed by by the love and by the compassion and by the mercy that they've seen from people around them. Jesus still rides into those situations with on the back of generosity. What's interesting about this situation is right before, in the text, is right before the triumphal entry, Jesus tells the disciples, I'm gonna go into Jerusalem and I'm gonna lay down my life on a cross and I'm gonna be raised from the dead. And two of the disciples, James and John, are like, yeah, but Jesus, hey, when you get into your kingdom, can we sit on your left and right? I wonder if these weren't the two disciples that Jesus said, hey, can y'all go get me a donkey? I mean, they were looking for a Messiah who could advance their position. They were looking for a Messiah who could, who could provide a crown for them. But Jesus said, hey, in the kingdom of God, I'm just looking for donkey catchers and donkey fetchers, people who would just be willing to run errands. That's what it means to have a king, just saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Sometimes he just wants us to be still and know that he's God. But other times he will lead us and he will prompt us through generosity and through serving so that other people would experience his love. Jesus still rides into cities and situations on the back of generosity and on the back of errands. That we would be those who run errands for our king. Second thing is that Jesus is still attracted to praise. Jesus is still attracted to praise. Scripture tells us in the Psalms that he inhabits the praises of his people that God is enthroned on our praises. It tells us James chapter four, verse eight, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Now God is omnipresent, he is everywhere, but there is something that we experience when we praise him. There is a nearness as we enter his courts with thanksgiving, his gates with thanksgiving and we enter his courts with praise. When we praise him, we experience the nearness of his presence. And I'm gonna tell you there are moments where, where it's hard to praise. It's, it, where it's hard to praise, where it's a, it is a sacrifice of praise, where there are moments that I'm just gonna take my coat off, I'm gonna take my cloak off, and I'm gonna put it on the ground, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna praise you because there, it, on, on Saturday morning, while it was still dark after the storm, I went out and I sat out on the back porch, and I could hear the birds singing. And it was after the, after the storm swept through and I could hear the birds singing and the reasons that the birds were singing is they were letting one another know, hey, we're still here, we made it through and the sun is gonna come up. See, the birds knew that the sun was gonna rise. 
And we need, we need to sing forth praise. We need one another. We need to hear one another sing to know we're going to make it through, that the storm has passed through. And you know what? Daylight is coming. And so we sing out in praise because we need to praise with one another. When we praise, it's like oxygen for our souls. And no matter what we experience, God is always, he is always, where there is always something to, to thank him for, and he is always worthy of our praise. And even when we don't feel like it, a sacrifice of praise, it's like drawing that next breath from the reality of who he is. And so Jesus is still attracted to praise. Now the third, if you're taking notes, is Jesus still meets us in his word. Triumphal entry is the story of all these promises and all these prophecies coming together. And in dark times, we need a word that we can hold on to. And Jesus still meets us in his word. We need truth that we can hold on to. And our team had no idea, when we, as we were preparing for the Holy Week, we had no idea of what we would encounter this week. But the team put together a, a devotional and a prayer guide to help you this week. And at the top of this paper, it says good news. And little did the team know how much we would need good news to hold on to. And so this takes you through every single day with a reading and with scripture to be a prayer guide for us going through this week. And God, would you give us good news to hold on to so that we have good news that will carry us through and we have good news that we can share with others. We meet with Jesus in his word. Jesus still meets us there. And then fourth, Jesus still longs for people to know him. He still longs for people to know him. He still weeps over people that don't know him. And he is moving and drawing people to himself. And Easter is one of those times of the year where there is, a, uh, there is an openness to respond to an invitation. As a church, we exist to help people find and follow Jesus because there is a hope that only Jesus can give. And at Easter, we have more services and we have um, more opportunities and we create more seats and more spaces for people to walk through the doors and find that hope. And so I wanna encourage you this week, um, as we have a city that's looking for hope, that we would look for opportunities to invite people, whether cross or to another church, Because this is a moment in our city where there are people who are open, saying this is not how it should be, and looking for, looking for answers. And while there are some questions that we don't have answers to, God sends a person. He sent a son. And through what happened that first Easter, we find a resurrection hope. We find a resurrection life. And Jesus weeps for those that don't know him. And we want to carry that burden too to help them find him. Help them find and follow Jesus. Because these next seven days are significant. Those seven days were significant. Jesus weeps because he knows. He knows he's going to go into that city and his best friend, one of his close friends is going to betray him. One of his best friends is going to deny him. All, 11, all the rest of the disciples are going to desert him. He's going to be tried, he's gonna be mocked, he's gonna be beaten, he's gonna be nailed to a cross. And if he knew all of that was up ahead, why did he still go? Why did he still go to Jerusalem? You know why? Because of you, because you're worth it. 
because you're worth it. But it's also because he knew that the cross wouldn't be the end. But that there would be an empty tomb. And he knew there is life that's greater than death. Because he laid down his life for us. And he knew that we would forget that sometimes. And so in his kindness, he gave us a meal. And you were handed the elements when you came in. And I want to walk you through. I want to walk you through this communion together. So on Thursday of that week, he gathered his disciples around a table, his closest friends. And he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Listen to how the apostle Paul writes about it. He says, he took bread and when they had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This meal is powerful because it reminds us that through his body that was broken, through his blood that was shed, that he has triumphed as our king. He has triumphed over evil, over darkness, over death, over our sin, over hell, and that we will be with him again. And one day there will be a day where he will wipe every tear from every eye. Until that day, he's with us even now. And so I want to lead you through this. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'd invite you to partake in this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can just let this moment pass. Or you can make a decision that today you want to follow Jesus and trust him. Put your trust in him. Well, then let this be the first act, first thing you do as a follower of Jesus. So I'd invite you to remove that top layer and remove the wafer, the bread. And as you just hold it in your hands, just be reminded his body is broken for you. Any sin you need to confess, anything you need to repent of, Bring your heart to him. Our salvation comes from his sacrifice for us, his body broken for us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. I invite you to open the cup. cup represents his blood that was poured out, the blood of a new covenant, and the promise that he made. And your sin has been atoned for, the promise of eternal life, his blood shed for you. And when you partake of this, he said, do this in remembrance of me.
So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your life that was poured out so that we can be filled up. Filled up with hope and encouragement, with peace, with comfort. You know what we need and we declare you are what we need. So with a reminder that in Christ there is hope and there is life forever. We declare you are our king. And in your kingdom we find you and that through us carrying your kingdom others find you too. So as we declare you as king, as we speak your name, as we sing your name, would you bring salvation to our hearts and to our city? Would you get what you weep for? Would you get what you gave your life for? We give you our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.